It's a good little, uh, good way to start our, our talk today is to hear that testimony right there. That's good. Well, listen, it's great to be with you today. I'm grateful for the opportunity to stand before you and to have the opportunity to share God's Word. Let me quickly introduce myself for those of you who don't know me. Uh, my name is Reed, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northside. And a lot of what I do takes place behind the scenes, but every now and then, uh, Scott gives me an opportunity to preach. And so that's what I get to do today, and for that, I am very grateful. So I'm uh, excited for the opportunity that we have today to jump into God's Word. Hope everybody's got their, uh, their popcorn and their bottle of water ready. So uh, if you didn't get any, if, if maybe you kind of got in after we got started today, we had some people at the door passing those out. If you still want one, feel free to, to get up and grab one. I promise I won't be offended. We want you to have it. Me and Sarah spent like two hours bagging popcorn last night, so uh, we want you to eat it. And uh, so feel free to, to get up and grab a bag if you don't have one yet. Um, let me go ahead and pray for us so we can start our time off in prayer, and then we're going to jump right in uh, to our discussion today. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity that you give us just to gather as a church family every week. And God, I thank you just for the, uh, the chance that we have today to open up your word and to examine it and to, uh, to learn from it. And God, we just pray that as a result of our time today, uh, that we'll be able to take what we learn and apply it to our lives and to become more and more like Christ. So God, we pray that as we, uh, as we spend time in your word and as we, um, as we have this conversation this morning, that you'll be honored in our time. Lord, that this will be a time that we can stay focused and that we'll be distraction-free and that all of this will be about making much of the name of Christ. And so, uh, so Lord, we love you and we pray uh, that you'll be honored in our time this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, well, if you are relatively new to our church, uh, allow me just to quickly bring you up to speed um, with where we are as a church and where we're going. Uh, in 2014, our church began a process of casting vision. Uh, we asked the question, what is our mission? And I think that every church, I think we'd all agree that every church has a very similar mission on the big stuff, like making disciples and sharing the gospel. Like every church should be doing that. But what about our specific mission? What about the thing that God has called our church to do, specifically right here in Rock Hill? What can our church do better than any other church in this city? What is God's specific mission for Northside? And through a very focused and intentional process with an outside consulting firm, uh, we learned what our strengths and weaknesses were. We, during this time, we learned what made our church unique. We saw that we were a multi-generational church um, that had a lot of uh, family ties. A lot of people are related here, and a lot of people really feel like this is their family church. And, and even if you don't have a biological family member a part of this church, uh, you can still say that this is your faith family. Uh, we saw that our multi-generational church just welcomed everyone in to where people can call this their home. And I know that probably many of you, especially in this service, have probably experienced that firsthand. And during this process, we also saw what was taking place in our community. We looked at the demographics of Rock Hill. We looked at the different trends. And honestly, they were not very promising. As we looked through some of the data, one of the things that we saw, just as, as one example, was that in our immediate area, right here, kind of in these few zip codes that make up Rock Hill, uh, we saw uh, that there are a lot of single-family homes. There are a lot of single moms or single dads that are doing their best just to raise a family. And even though that's the case in a lot of areas across the country, it was statistically significant right here in our community, like right here in these few zip codes. It was a larger issue than in other areas of the country. And that's just one example. 
And I think that if we're honest, I think we all know that this is true. Our, our culture is kind of falling apart right in front of our eyes, uh, whether it's being decided for us at the Supreme Court or whether it's just the direct result of just living in a fallen and sinful world. Um, I think we can all agree that the family is under attack. And God in his sovereignty has placed our church right here in the middle of it. And through this process, we ended up with a really incredible mission. As, after seeing our strengths, after learning more about our immediate mission field right here in Rock Hill, we, we understood what our mission had to be. So what is Northside all about? As you guys have, have come to, to learn recently, our new mission is building strong families by encouraging everyone to put Christ first. And in August of 2015, Pastor Scott began leading our church through the book of Nehemiah. We began uh, taking a look at what God's Word had to say about building strong. And as we unpacked our new vision, uh, we, we started talking about how we're going to implement it. We started talking about our build strong strategy. If you guys remember us talking about that, it was the B-U-I-L-D. Most of you probably even have the wristband on. We passed out a whole bunch of these wristbands. And so you probably even have one of these. And the purpose of our strategy was so that we could have a, a very effective way to implement our brand new vision of building strong families. Having a strong mission is important, but if we don't have a, an easy way to implement it, then what good is it? All it ends up uh, happening is it ends up on the church website or it ends up in the bulletin and then nothing ever gets done with it. So we needed a very simple way to take our brand new mission and we needed a simple way to implement it. And so we have a strategy. And as you guys know, the B-U-I-L-D is an acronym. This is how we're going to walk people through the process when they say, hey, I really like your new vision. I really like this idea of building strong families. How do we get to be a part of this? How can our family jump in on this? And you can just walk them right through the five letters. We want everybody to be Believe together with us in worship. Understand the Bible in groups. We want people to invest their time, talent, and treasures. We want people to live out the gospel, and we want people to depend on one another as a faith family. And through that, we felt like we had a very solid strategy of walking people through how they can be a part of our brand new uh, vision and mission right here at our church. And through all of this, we also uh, kind of affirmed what are our values? What are the things that really make us tick? What are the things that are important for us as a church? What is it that drives what we do and the decisions that we make and all of this? And there are five values that we felt like, man, this is true of our church, always has been and always will be. And these are the five, that we are centered in Christ. We are grounded in God's word. We are focused on spiritual growth. We are committed to missions and we are motivated by love. These five things are kind of the top values of our church that really help us to determine who we are and what we do as a faith family. So just to recap, in like the last three minutes, I've explained to you our mission. We're about building strong families by encouraging everyone to put Christ first. I've explained to you our strategy. We have a build strong strategy, B-U-I-L-D, explain to you our five values that really drive what we do. So my question for you uh, now is just really simple. How do we measure success? Traditionally, churches have measured success with kind of the three Bs. You got the butts, budgets, and buildings, right? Uh, we want to know how many people can we put in the pews, right? We want to count attendance. That's one way. Another way is with budgets. Are we Meeting budget? Are we behind budget? Are we ahead of budget? How are we doing financially? And so we start measuring money. So we're counting attendance. We're measuring our, our income. We're looking at the, the offerings that are coming in. 
And finally, a lot of churches measure success uh, by looking at other uh, looking, our, uh, looking at our facilities and compared to other churches. So we look around and we're like, man, we've got an old church campus. Or, man, did you see what the church down the street just built? we got to keep up. Let's start a new building campaign. And so we begin to measure our success based off of our facilities and what we can offer to the families that come. And even though we might not necessarily say it like that, I think we all know that this is true. I experience this all the time as a pastor. I'm sure that Scott would agree with me. When I meet somebody new, especially somebody else who's in ministry, and they find out that I oversee our student ministry uh, here at Northside, without fail, the first question they ask me is, hey, so how many, how many students do you have in your, in your youth group? Without fail. And why is that? It's because we have been trained as a culture to measure success with numbers. And don't mishear me. Numbers are important. Numbers represent souls. I get it. But as a denomination, guys, we've gone overboard with our counting. We count everything. And many times we count things like twice. And uh, I think that um, if we were to, to look at our membership role, this is a perfect example. This is, this is why most uh, churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, ours included, have membership roles that are twice as large as their average Sunday morning attendance. And what's the point of that? So we can brag about being a church of seven or 800 people? Like, what does that even accomplish? Like, what, what good is that for us to, to claim this number if it's not accurate? And I think that when we hear that our Southern Baptist Convention is made up of 16 million people, like, we're all proud. Oh, man, we're the largest Protestant denomination, 16 million. hope you guys realize how inaccurate that number is as a result of the way we count and how we count everything and many times are double counting. So I think we can all agree that there's a problem. The way we measure success has not always been the best. But here's the good news. Remember that consulting firm I was just telling you about uh, that helped us kind of think through our mission and our strategy and our values? Well, they also helped us think through mission measures. They helped us think through ways that we can evaluate success and whether or not what we are doing is effective. And so they helped us um, think through uh, questions that we can ask ourselves and ask one another. And Scott started this conversation uh, last week when he asked us, have you checked in with God lately? Or have you checked in with God today? We're talking about, you know, your time in prayer. Today, we're going to look at another question. Today, I want us to ask ourselves, what's my life rated? For our time today, we're going to be in 1 Peter. This is a short letter towards the end of the, in, towards the, end of the New Testament. If so if you have a hard copy of God's Word with you, if you just kind of flip to the back, it's a small letter in between uh, Hebrews and Revelation, so you'll find it towards the end. If you're using a, an iPad or an iPhone this morning, just open up your Bible app and scroll straight to the bottom. You'll see it kind of listed right down there at the, at the very end. And if, you, if you're using a smartphone or a tablet, feel free to go ahead and set your translation to the NIV this morning. That's the translation I'm going to be using as well, so that way our translations match today. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 13. And uh, we're going to go actually through the third verse of chapter 2. So I'm going to read this for us, and then we're going to uh, break it down and begin to discuss it. All right, this is 1 Peter chapter 1. We're starting in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from, from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for, one, for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Four. All people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. All right, for our time this morning, we're going to take this passage, we're going to dissect it, we're going to take a look at what it has to say, and hopefully as a result of examining this passage, we're going to be able to apply what we've learned to our lives. There's going to be three simple truths today and a point of application that I want us to kind of to wrestle with when we go home, and, uh, and that's going to kind of be the direction that we're going today. So your first point is this, and, and so you've got a handout uh, hopefully with you with, a, with a, some fill in the blank. So here's your first point. Since we know Christ... We can't live like we did when we were unbelievers. Since we know Christ, we can't live like we did when we were unbelievers. All right, let's look again at verses 13 through 14. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed in his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Our text this morning begins with the word therefore. I was always taught that whenever a passage begins with therefore, you need to know what it's there for. So uh, let's rewind back to the beginning of chapter 1 so that we can get our context. We want to know who wrote this letter. Who's he writing to? Why did he write it? What's kind of taking place kind of in the culture of that time so that we can understand what this passage is all about. So let's figure out a little bit of this context so that we know what's taking place in our passage today. Uh, First Peter was a letter that was written by the disciple Peter. And he was writing to believers, to believers in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So he's writing to these believers who are in Turkey, in, this, in that area, Asia Minor. And these believers had fallen on hard times. They'd been scattered as a result of persecution. So some, some terrible things are taking place as a result of their faith. They've now had to kind of flee. And so Peter is now writing to them, and the goal of his letter is to encourage them. He wants to encourage them that, hey, listen, you've gone through some tough times. But hang in there. So let's take a look at this. This, Let's jump back to the very beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1. I want you guys to see how he begins to address these people because this is going to be important for our context. Uh, Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. And as we're seeing just in these very first few verses, the purpose of this letter is to encourage these believers. In this very first verse, Peter reminds them that they are elect 
They have been chosen by God for salvation. And he's saying that that alone should be an encouragement to these believers, especially now that they're experiencing difficult times. They live in a world that does not understand them. And as a result, they're now being persecuted. And Peter is reminding them to hang in there because they have been chosen by God. He continues in the following verses by talking about the hope that these believers have in Jesus Christ. Even though they are experiencing persecution, they can still celebrate because of everything that Jesus has accomplished for them on the cross. Already, it's already done, and he's telling them that they can still celebrate that. Even though their pain, uh, even though their pain is very real, it's temporary. The joy that's coming is going to be eternal. Uh, let me read these next few verse, uh, verses so that you guys can see that. That's 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 12. We're not going to break this part down, but let me just read it for us so that you can see kind of where we're picking up in our story for today. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater work than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by, uh, by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven." Even the angels long to look into these things. And then we arrive at our passage. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you have when you live in ignorance. So Peter's reminding them, listen guys, don't conform. Don't give in. Don't give up. Continue to be obedient children. Don't walk away from the faith and don't live like you did when you were unbelievers. And guys, the same encouragement could be said to us as well. Even though we're not facing persecution like the early church went through, and we're sure not facing persecution like our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through right now in the Middle East with ISIS, I think we can all agree, though, that the temptation is still very real at times to just walk away from the faith. Guys, I think if we're honest, we have to admit that the devil is good at what he does. In this very same book, in the same letter right here, uh, just a few chapters later, Peter lets us know that we need to be on the alert. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 5. You don't, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to this. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Every believer at one time or another is going to experience the temptation to walk away from the faith. 
every believer at one time or another will begin to question whether it would be easier just to go back to their old way of living. And let me just go ahead and tell you, yes, it's going to be a lot easier if you do that, okay? It drives me nuts when pastors stand up on stage and they try to convince people to follow Christ and that their life is just going to be perfect after that. Man, it's the exact opposite. It is harder to follow Christ. It is harder to live a life that is consistent with God's Word. It is easier to live like you did when you were an unbeliever. It is easier to jump in and live like the rest of the world is living. But God's Word calls us to a different life. Like we just affirmed with our first point, and like Peter just said in verses 13 through 14, since we know Christ, we can't live like we did when we were unbelievers. Christ has changed things for us. All right, your second point. Since we know Christ, our lives should be different. Since we know Christ, our lives should be different. Let's take a look at verses 15 through 25. But just as he who calls you is holy, be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. And as we're seeing in these, in these verses right here, guys, our lives should be different. Verses 15 through 16 tell us that we should be holy. So what does this mean? How do we understand what holiness is? Simply put, guys, holiness just embraces purity and embraces moral integrity. The idea of holiness is that we are set apart from everything that is profane. Maybe the best way for you to understand holiness is just a loving conformity to God's commands. Like nobody's having to force you to do it. It's that you want to because you love God and you love his word and you read his commands and you're like, man, absolutely, I want to live like that. So you begin to pursue that as a loving conformity to God's commands. But guys, if we're honest, man, that can be difficult. We live in a fallen world ever since mankind fell in Genesis chapter 3. Like, this world has been messed up, and we're, we're part of the problem. Like, we would have done the exact same thing. Adam and Eve fell in the garden. We would have, too, and we'd have probably messed it up even worse. Which is why Peter uh, said what he did in verses 13 through 14. He had to encourage them to stay true to the faith. But regardless of how difficult this task is, is what God's Word has commanded us to do. Look at uh, verses 17 through 19, and we're going to see why. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, but, or from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
Guys, our lives should be different because of what Christ has done for us, because of his sacrifice. But with the precious blood of Christ, look at verse 19. With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. As a result of his sacrifice, guys, we are no longer slaves to sin. We could be servants of Christ. So what does this look like? Keep looking. Look at verse 22 through 23. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Guys, since we have been purified and since we have been born again, our lives should be characterized by holiness. This is consistent with other passages that we see in Scripture as well. I want you to listen to the words of, of Jesus in John chapter 13. You don't have to turn there, just listen. This is what Jesus had to say about the way we love one another. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, when you love one another, like you're letting the world know that you're, you're on our team. You're letting the world know that you're one of my followers when you love one another. So when we say that our lives should be different, we need to affirm that our love for one another should be a foundational part of that new life. Third point, since we know Christ, we should pursue holiness. Since we know Christ, we should pursue holiness. And guys, I want to be careful as we unpack this point to make sure that we don't accidentally head in a direction towards legalism. If we're not careful here, that can happen. Uh, I just want to go ahead and let you guys know that legalism does not work. I've been there. I've done that. I've tried it. It is a completely ineffective way to live out the Christian life. Our highest priority as a follower of Christ um, should be to, uh, to, to have the relationship with Christ, to, to live for Him. It should not be about a bunch of, of rules. If our highest priority is to follow a set of rules, which many times, if we're honest, are just man-made rules, like we, we elevate the, the rules of man as if they're on the same level playing field with the rules of God, and then we, we create this system in place where it's just constant rule-following, if that's our highest priority is to follow these rules, then we are nothing better than the Pharisees. Our greatest desire should be to know Christ. And when we know Christ, we will have a desire to live our lives in a consistent way that goes along with God's word. Guys, when we get that backwards, and if it's not about knowing Christ, but instead about following rules, it's just legalism and it doesn't work. Knowing Christ is the goal. That's why all three of your sermon points today start off with, since we know Christ, and then as a result of knowing Christ, we can pursue holiness. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Again, we have another therefore, and what he's saying right here is, hey, listen, as a result of everything that I've said so far, as a result of everything that we've discussed, pursue holiness. He says that they should rid themselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And why? Because these things are not consistent with the gospel. These things are not consistent with the life of a believer. But he doesn't just leave them there. He tells them how they should live. He says that like newborn babies crave their mother's milk, believers should crave spiritual milk, which is a reference to the Word of God. 
Peter is saying that as believers, we should be pursuing holiness and we should be craving God's word. It should be our greatest desire to know Christ more and more each day and to become more and more like him. And how are we going to do that? When we pursue holiness and when we spend time in God's word. And look at what the results will be. It tells us in verse 2 of, of 1 Peter chapter 2. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We will grow up in our salvation. In other words, when we pursue holiness and when we spend time in God's word, we're going to see spiritual growth. We're going to grow in our faith. Peter's given us a very simple formula to follow. You know, we always talk, you know, people go, I, just, I feel like that my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling or I don't feel like I'm growing in my faith. Peter's given us a very simple uh, formula to follow. If you know Christ, pursue holiness, spend time in God's word, you're going to grow in your faith. Very, very simple formula. So guys, listen, let's, let's take what we've learned today and I want us to make it a, a little more practical. This morning when you walked in, you should have been offered uh, some popcorn and a bottle of water. I hope everybody has enjoyed that. I do want to give Regal Cinemas props this morning for, uh, for giving us the popcorn. I, when I called them, I know it's kind of a strange request for them to get when somebody asked for enough popcorn to feed 300 people. And uh, they asked what it was for, and I told them that it was for uh, my sermon today. And I, I thought for sure that they were going to ask me to pay something, but when they found out that I was using it today as a sermon illustration, they just gave it to me. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, so go and watch a movie at Regal. Let's thank them for that. And uh, back when I was in high school, I actually worked for Regal Cinemas, and uh, you don't really see much of that anymore. Most teenagers today uh, don't actually have jobs, uh, but I didn't have the option. When I turned 16, my parents said, happy birthday, go get a job. And, uh, and I've, I've worked ever since. I had bills to pay for, and I was not going to be able to pay for those if I didn't go work. Uh, so what better place uh, for a high school kid to work than the local movie theater. And honestly, guys, it wasn't a bad job. The pay was terrible, but the, uh, the benefits were great. Uh, me and my friends could watch movies whenever we wanted, and I could eat as much popcorn and drink as much Coke as my body could handle. So I was pleased as a 16 and 17-year-old. It wasn't too bad of a deal. Now, the theater that I worked at was a brand new 22 screen. Um, it was, I mean, it was nice, okay? Like, it was brand new, uh, state-of-the-art sound, uh, sound systems in every single auditorium, like the best technology. It was, it was really nice. And uh, living in Atlanta, uh, it was definitely a popular place. Uh, it was always very crowded. It was very common on just about any night for the line to just be hanging down the side of the building for people to buy tickets. And almost every single weekend, we had multiple, multiple shows that would sell out, which uh, really made life a lot of fun as an usher, right? Trying to clean up all that mess. So, um, listen, we were a very, very popular theater in our area of Atlanta. So a lot of people were there. So you guys need to understand, like, this place was crowded. It was very common for lines to form. I told the first service, uh, there, was, uh, there was one movie that came out I'll never forget. It was uh, with Jim Carrey, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've never seen lines like that in my life. People waited over an hour just to buy popcorn. Like, it was insane. Like, there were people who came up and said, I missed my entire movie because I was waiting in line to buy popcorn. So, listen, we were a very popular theater, and as a result, we really had to watch out for theater skippers. And I know that most of you in here probably know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, let me just explain. Um, here's what would happen. These young kids would walk in, and they wanted to see a rated R movie. And they obviously knew that they were not old enough to buy a ticket. So what they would do is they would walk into the lobby. They're just acting like they're hanging out with their friends. And look, we're not stupid. We know what they're doing. So we'd watch them. And they would look up on the screens, and they would see kind of where the movies were playing, which auditorium that they were in. And they're like, oh, the movie we want to see is over there. It's in auditorium number 14. 
So they would kind of look at what the movies were around that, you know, what movie's playing in, you know, 11, 12, or 13, or 15, 16, 17. They'd find a G-rated movie that was close to it. Then they'd go back outside, wait in the really long line, buy their movie ticket to the G-rated show, go in, have their ticket torn, go in, you know, find their seat. They'd sit there for a little while and act like that's the movie they're going to watch. And then when nobody's looking, they would theater skip. They'd jump right over to the rated R movie that they actually wanted to see. So teenagers who are hearing me say this, don't do this, it'll get you kicked out. So, um, but let me just go ahead and tell you, that was a common practice at our theater. Uh, so we had to really kind of be on the lookout because we were very crowded. And so what would happen, this would create major problems for us because people would come back out. Like there were people who actually bought tickets for that rated R movie and they couldn't find a seat. So they'd come back out and they'd say, uh, excuse me, can you, can you help me find a seat? Like every seat is full. And that's not possible. For those of you who uh, are not down with the, the way that movie theaters actually operate, no show ever truly sells out. Like when they say that a show is sold out, it's not at 100% capacity. Uh, there's always a few seats that are still available. They have to do that. And uh, like our theater, we always left about 5% of the seats unsold. And you have to do that so that groups who come together can sit together. So there's, there's you know, an empty seat here and an empty seat you know, there and there. And it's just kind of scattered throughout the auditorium. Very common for us in, a, in an auditorium that sat 400 people to have about 20 seats that were unsold. So when somebody came out and had to tell us, hey, I can't find a seat, every single seat is gone. Okay, well, now we know. There's theater skippers. So we'd have to go in there with our little bitty flashlights, and we're just going row by row checking tickets. And eventually we would find about two rows full of, you know, 12-year-olds who are in this rated R movie, and we'd have to kick them out. We'd have to let them know, hey, guys, you got to go. You know, you can't be here. And without fail, every single time they wanted to argue about it, every time. So we'd pull them out into the hallway, and there'd be about three or four of us ushers right there trying to get this group of, you know, 20 kids out. And then, then they would want to sit there and argue with them. They, they didn't understand why they were not allowed to stay and watch that rated R movie. They're like, we bought a ticket, we bought a ticket. I'm like, you didn't buy a ticket for this show. Like, you bought a ticket, but you bought a ticket for that G-rated show. And so since you theater skipped, you now took somebody else's seat. You know, so all these people now don't have a place to sit because you theater skipped. But second, like... You're 12, you know, it's like, what are you doing? You know, there are things on this screen that you don't need to see and that you don't need to hear. This movie is rated R. Guys, I want to I ask a simple question this morning. And this is the last part of your outline and your handout. You can go ahead and write this down. I want us, when we go home today, to really think about this question. This is one of the questions that I want us to ask ourselves. Um, this could be a new way for us to evaluate whether or not we are building strong families, whether or not we are making disciples, whether or not we're doing the right stuff. I want us to think through this and wrestle with this. We want to ask, if your life was a movie, what would it be rated? If your life was a movie... What would it be rated? And listen, let me kind of add to that for a second. If people wanted to see your movie, would they have to theater skip to get in? The purpose of you getting popcorn and water today, guys, was very simple. I wanted to provide you with just a, a simple sermon illustration so that you would remember this question. I want you to remember the time, three years from now, four years from now. Oh, yeah, I remember the time that, you know, Reed gave us a bunch of popcorn and water when we were, you know, listening to a sermon. And I want that to trigger something in your mind to remember this moment and this question. And when somebody says, why'd they give you popcorn? Because our church wanted us to ask, if my life was a movie, what would it be rated? Guys, as believers, our lives should be characterized by holiness. 
But sometimes, guys, that can be a hard thing to evaluate. So this question we felt was going to be a very easy way, very practical way for us just to think through this. And I know that there's going to be the temptation for you to think that maybe different parts of your life could have different ratings. You know, you're like, oh man, well, my life at home is, I'm doing pretty good. I keep things appropriate. Like when I'm with the wife and the kids, like it's a rated, you know, it's rated G, like everything's good. But when I go to work, man, it's, it's all bets are off. Then it's rated R at work. You know, you're going from a Disney movie at home with your kids to a Quentin Tarantino movie when you get to work with your coworkers, and it just doesn't work, right? So there's this temptation to think that you can separate your life into different categories and rate, and rate them different ways. Because that's not how movie ratings work, is it? Like, there can be a movie that would be completely appropriate for 99% of the movie. But if there is one scene that causes that movie to be rated R. Now the entire movie is rated R. And guys, and the same is true for our lives. Like, we don't need to try to, you know, think about our lives in different categories like that. Man, our entire, our entire life, like, should be, should be about the pursuit of holiness. Every area of our life. When we're at home, when we're at work, when we're with our friends, when we're on the ball team, whatever, like, every area of our life, we should be concerned with holiness. Guys, I want to leave you with one more verse, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. It's a a great verse for our our conversation today. And a lot of you probably already have this verse uh, memorized. It's 1 Corinthians uh, 10.31, and it says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Guys, I think that if we kept this verse, if we kept this idea of everything that we do being done for the glory of God, if we kept that kind of in the front of our mind, I think that our pursuit of holiness would look so much different. I think it would look completely different if, if, this was, um, if this was constantly in our minds. Like when we were evaluating, hey, should I be a part of that? Should I do this? Should this be a part of my life? If we're constantly asking ourselves, does this glorify God? It really changes things for us. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. I like that, whatever you do. Do it all for the glory of God. Guys, let me just recap for us, okay? Like this morning, we've learned three simple truths, okay? We've learned that since we know Christ, we can't live like we did when we were unbelievers. Since we know Christ, our lives should be different. And since we know Christ, we should pursue holiness. And today, when we go home, we're going to ask ourselves the question, if my life was a movie, what would it be rated? Well, guys, listen, I appreciate the uh, opportunity that I've had today to share God's Word with you. I always enjoy these, uh, these opportunities. It's a lot of fun to stand up here and to, and to preach. It's even more fun to prepare it, and uh, you definitely learn a lot from it. But I appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation with you. And listen, if you've got questions and you want to talk more about this stuff, please come see me or, or Scott or grab Troy or you know, get Scott Crouch, anybody. Grab one of the people uh, here. We would love the opportunity to keep the conversation going with you. And listen, if you're in this room right now and you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all, uh, I want to I remind you of what we read today in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Listen again to verses 2 through 3. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And guys, I know that in a room this size, there are people in here who have never tasted that the Lord is good. There's people who have never experienced that before. And today, that can change for you. 
If you want to talk more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, man, come and get us. We'd love the opportunity to explain this and to start this conversation. We're not going to guilt trip you. We're not going to twist your arm. We're not going to do anything to make you feel uncomfortable. We just want to start the conversation with you to help you understand who Jesus is and what he accomplished for you. And today, you can put your faith in Christ, you can be forgiven of your sins, and you can agree with Peter's statement that you have tasted and the Lord is good. Well, guys, listen. Troy and the the band, they're going to come up. They're going to close us out in song. Again, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you guys again. Let's stand and sing.